0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Start a Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation. I'm hoping helps your business grow. If you listen to the show, you know that I am not personally a member of Gen Z, but so many people are, and it is a coveted marketing group and really someone or people that brands, pretty much anybody selling anything wants to reach these days. Now, once again, making fun of my old age, you might not understand Gen Z, and that's why it's important to probably get some help from people in the advertising group to help you create your advertising. That's exactly what we're going to talk about on today's episode. Before I introduce you to today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Wix. Yes, our friends over at Wix know a thing or two about turning a scrappy startup team into a global organization that serves millions of people, and they want to share what they've learned with Startup Hustle listeners in their new micro podcast series called Ready for Takeoff by Wix. When you tune into Ready for Takeoff by Wix, you you get to hear from Wix founders and company leaders, and they share super short lessons, say that five times really fast, to help you build better programs and teams faster. And that's a topic I can get behind. Subscribe and follow the Ready for Takeoff by Wix podcast, pretty much wherever you're going to find and listen to podcasts. With me today, I've got Jake Bajorseth, and he is the CEO and founder of Trendsetters. That's a marketing and advertising agency located in Kansas City, and they specialize in Gen Z stuff. This is someone I have known locally for quite a few years, and I'm happy to get on the show. Probably should have done this a long time ago. I'm not going to try to, their web domain is not just trendsetters.com. It is spelled a a little differently. Do me a favor, scroll down the show notes and click that link so you can get a little bit of reference about what they do straight out of my hometown of Kansas City. Jake, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to what we talk about today. I got to learn a few things about Gen Z and you know, the crazy kids, man, what they're up to. Uh, you have a very interesting backstory, uh, and I think that's probably the best place to start.
1: Yeah, no, definitely an interesting one. You know, born and raised here locally. Uh, you know, always been into the entrepreneurship grind since a very young age. Have this iconic picture when I was nine years old. You know, running this little candy stand that I would pull to the neighborhood pools because they don't have the convenience ones there, and then piss all the parents off because I would, you know, uh, you know, pretty much sling some some candy and ice cream at the local pool, and and then have a credit system because they didn't bring cash and. So anyway, you know, I, I found myself, uh, the first week on campus at KU and I'd built a strong following on Snapchat and I was advising, I somehow, you know, wound my way up into advising noodles and company on Snapchat. We had a one hour call and, you know, within the first two minutes of that call, it was clear to me and evident that this has nothing to do with Snapchat. This has everything to do with an understanding of my generation. So right then I literally Google it. I go, what generation am I a part of? If I was born in 1999, uh, I am on the the 1900 side of things. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one of the 2000s kids by any means, you know, and then at that point, three weeks later, shatter my jaw into about nine different pieces. Uh, great experience. Uh, wouldn't recommend breaking that bone of any. Um, and at that point, you know, I had some time off from school my freshman year, and I decided what better time to start a business than, you know, when my jaws are wired shut, and I can't speak or eat. Um, And so I started Trendsetters Media and, you know, we were off to the races, ended up dropping out of school. And now here we are five years later, a very long five years. uh, And, you know, now working with some of the biggest brands in the world, helping them reach and understand Gen Z. And you you have a really impressive uh, company
0: that you've built largely because building with Gen Z, let's do a little definition here. So a millennial is anyone born between 1981 and 96. So um, you know, there you go on that and uh, Gen Z is 90, 1997 to 2012. Uh, I was born in 1975. I don't even know what generation I'm in, but oh, yeah. you hear a lot of a lot of this communication and uh, you know about I don't. You Googled it. What generation yeah. I am I? I think most people need to do that, but that's the actual uh, definition of that. And I think it's fair to say you hear people, Oh, these damn millennials, these damn Gen Zers. And by the way, if you're saying that you probably find yourself shaking your fist at youth on your front lawn, cause you're mad that they're riding their bikes through it or something. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's an old people thing, but, uh, when it comes to what you do at trendsetters, once again, there's a link in the show notes, like what's the biggest problem that needs to be solved when it comes to communicating with the Gen Z audience?
1: Yeah, you know, to me, the biggest thing is, and and I, I want to be clear, because when it comes to generations, um, I, I'm i not, you know, despite being a, a generational marketing company, like that's what we're built on. I'm not a buyer that generations have like much crazy variance or commonality, even within that, that generation necessarily. Um, because the youth are always going to operate and act a certain way. And you can go back for the past 150 years, the youth tend to have these set of characteristics, and it doesn't matter what you know generation you're looking at. That's just the difference between being 18 years old and 45 years old. is your reality of of the world. But all of that said, the difference is technology shapes our consumer uh, habits. And when you have a generation that doesn't know a world without the internet, and they're literally born and they have one hand you know, on their parents' breast or on their mom's breast and the other hand on, you know, an iPad or an iPhone, like immediately out of the womb, what you see there is their consumer behaviors shift, uh, you know, instrumentally. And so, you know, the biggest thing I see with, with brands, uh, particularly in this space, is just a lack of fundamental understanding for how they consume as consumers. Uh, how are they making decisions on their purchases? You know, not just the social media aspect. To me, that's a piece of it. And I think our generation, we even look at social media a lot differently, not just our our consumption habits in it, uh, but even the reason for why we're purchasing products, purchasing services. Um, So the biggest thing is just a fundamental understanding of why things are happening. And
0: I think some of what you're saying, all right, so the notes that our production team provided say differences that Gen Zers will be known for, less validation expectations, well, I think that's true for anybody that's an early buyer. I think the older you get, the more finicky you are. Maybe you've bought some stuff that didn't work out, and you're a little yeah. jaded, or I don't know. Is it fair to say that usually the, the, an expectation is you get a little better at financial management when you're older? Uh, yeah. More and so the next, all these next things are, are these next things on the list. I just think this is just young people in general throughout the history of the world more independent, more entrepreneurial, more communicative and more competitive. Yeah. I mean, that's I that I don't see the difference between I don't think that that was when I however old I was when I was 20, that felt the same way. Yeah. But do, do you think that that's kind of are there some general rules of thumb that apply to reaching Gen Z that would have applied to a millennial or the other people, given they were that age when you're trying to communicate with them?
1: Yep, yeah, I, I think there's a strong crossover. And I think there's there's something to note. You know, there was a report that came out in early 2020 from Ogilvy Consulting. Uh, and the first bullet points or, or section in that report was titled Millennials Lied. And so, uh, you know, it talked about how when you did post-shopper analysis of actual, like, you know, it's one thing to take survey data and, you know, I'm such a proponent against like, the headline stuff that includes anything about a generation or survey data, because people will tell you things in a survey because it sounds good and because they they want to do that. But then you look at their consumption habits, and it's entirely different. And so it was titled "The Millennials Slide. And the reason was there's a strong gap right now between what is the insights department of the biggest brands in the world determining product innovation from a technology standpoint, from a, a Hey, what snack or widget or thingamajig should we launch next? There's this entire insights world that exists that is all based on this survey data, um, of which is rarely accurate. And when you look at post-purchase analysis, you know, we were told that millennials were such a purpose-driven generation. That's why they buy things, right? When you did post-purchase analysis on that, they actually purchased based on that the least of any generation in terms of purpose. And even the silent generation—I'm talking eighty-year-olds—were, you know, buying on those reasonings more than that of millennials. And so, you know, what do we take from this? Well, the big gap is this idea that we can fundamentally understand a generation simply through data and surveys. When you know, it's our belief and it's our principle at Trendsetters that if you want to understand and reach this generation, you have to work directly with them. And you know, then keeping in mind too, just the, the the speed of consumers, there's new platforms every day, there's new trends happening all the time. And so that's indicative of the name trendsetters, right? We need to be thinking about what's happening next. And how's this generation shifting? And I think you have a great point about also where it's happening. You mentioned different
0: platforms. So, you know, making fun of my old age again, yeah. you know, people that are my age, like we're still like, I remember when Facebook came out and I remember having the debate as to whether I wanted to put my energy into my MySpace page or my Facebook page. And I remember because Facebook was new and yeah. people were like, Hey, I'm switching. This is cooler. This is better. I'm like, Oh, do I really need another platform? But now when I talk to people that are half my age, you know, they're like, Hey, you mentioned building that community on Snapchat. And I think if you're trying to reach a generation, and by the way, the harder, the bigger that sample size gets, the harder it is to define anything about them, in my opinion, because we're in Kansas, which, you know, 20-year-old kids might have a completely different outlook on everything in Kansas as compared to Florida, as compared to Hawaii, or maybe where I have hundreds of employees in the Philippines, Yep. So, I mean, because technically everyone that's 20 years old in all those places is a part of Gen Z.
1: Yep. So, so with that in mind, you know, I have an interesting thought there. Um, and and this is a theory and a thread that that we've really driven with, which is what the internet has created, however, is a global connectivity. I mean, of course, like mm-hmm. we all understand that, but no. what is the output of that? What we've seen is consumer habits have been allowed to flourish in this individualism way um, you know re- recalling uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World you know so much of that future where it's individualism at a at a at a wide scale and so what that what that difference is is you're no longer limited by geography by your localization and by some of those things and so where we see that live out is actually in consumer behaviors and interest so for example You know, if I went to school, if I was in high school in the 80s, right, and I was super into, um, you know, this off-brand thing, and I'll just use an example. let's say Frisbee golf, right? Well, I'm super into Frisbee golf, but my high school probably doesn't have a Frisbee golf team. And, you know, maybe some friends play, but maybe let's pretend that they don't, right? And so how am I ever going to explore that passion that may end up developing, you know, a a consumer trait or consumer behavior of mine? When there's no Frisbee golf on TV, there's no Frisbee golf magazine necessarily. There's no Frisbee golf books. There's no information source for this. Whereas nowadays take any topic and and we'll include Frisbee golf again. And if you're into that, it doesn't matter if your friends are into it, if your high school has access to it, if there's a course near you, none of that matters because you can go check out a Facebook group. You can go to YouTube and check out highlights. You can go learn how to play and how to throw it, you know, at a better angle. So I think what we've seen is, while certainly there, there's an element of localization that's that's always going to be, you know, ingrained in human behavior with Gen Z in particular, and you know, growing up in this internet era, it's allowed this generation to develop consumer habits and behaviors not limited to their local and physical presence. And I'd even argue that, you know, um, you know, who's doing the, the majority of parenting for gen z is it their teachers and their neighbors and their community around them and their parents or is it you know their phone where they spend the majority of their time and so these are some of the interesting questions that we see live out as we look at you know shifts in consumer behavior
0: well one of the things you mentioned is going to look you you everything you mentioned was was proactive like you, you keep with the frisbee golf theme like yeah you okay so i bought a claw game like the arcade game for yeah, my yeah. kids i I'm, I'm i've played it as much as they have by the way dude i put all of my my kids had too many like plushy toys everywhere so the first thing i did with the claw game is i put their own toys back in yeah, it yeah. so they can win their own toys back if they want But, but with that, I made a post at one point and I said, this is, it's, I, I've always wanted to have my own claw game, claw arcade game at home. And, and so much of technology. Okay. Now I'm getting, I got YouTube videos being served to me, real stories, all of it. You don't even have to look for the community, the tech, the platforms deliver it to you. And, you know, so, so with that, oh man, and I'm way down the rabbit hole. I just had this conversation with my wife. I'm like, do you know how, yesterday why we're playing the claw game? I'm like, do you know how many different amazing things people put in claw games? But, but with that, that's that proliferation uh, and things being served up to you that you're interested or maybe are even topical. And I mm-hmm. think from a marketing perspective, that's pretty cool because you, well, it can reduce your ability or
1: need to
0: necessarily be an expert on certain parts of marketing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and something that I love, I think, you know, all these algorithms are incredibly sophisticated, but the TikTok algorithm in particular, like I've never seen an algorithm better serve up the content that you don't even know you're interested in and it knows that you want to watch that based off of some complex, you know, system that they were able to design. And what excites me the most about that is that, you know, perhaps we're able to enter an era when it comes to marketing where we can go back to this era of, of organic, well, not I wouldn't say an era, but can we get to an era where it's serving up organic content and valuable information and entertainment and education as opposed to, you know, running ads through Facebook like crazy and worshiping, you know, Facebook ad center like it's, you know, the lifeblood of our business, which to many e-com brands has been. How do we get to an era? Where you know instead of the, this paid advertising, is there, there a future where we can rely a lot more on organic and let consumers come to us? And you know that that's a lot of the the as we think about how we market to Gen Z, you know they're they're so bombarded with advertisements day in and day out that we see the ineffectiveness um, and just the fatigue of all these ads being displayed in front of them. That you know a large part of the strategy we look to deploy. Is that organic content strategy? How do we get in front of them organically and get them interested in us? I think that's one of the biggest differences that I've seen, and I have over twenty years of of just
0: marketing in general. Like everything from like, you know, when it, when I first entered, like newspapers were still relevant. Like that was actually the best way for me to reach people in mass. Like this is still when having the discussion of how important is the yellow pages. Now I just mentioned two things that are like dinosaurs in my world. Like I would never buy a newspaper ad for full scale and I cert, and I'm not in the yellow pages. And, you know, but, so, but the big change here is the creation of content and that's, I mean, you, all right. So last year I did, a hundred percent of the volume that we did at full scale was without purchasing advertising for full scale yeah meaning like so we actually sold more ads on this podcast than we spent in advertising yeah and that's a te- so we have a positive marketing budget which is kind of crazy like it when i was in business school that i i should mention i dropped out of yeah <laughs> uh, but if i turned that in to the professor and had a positive marketing budget there would have been a circle around it that said come see me And then probably a conversation of like, dude, come on. There's no one that does this, but people do it all the time. There's, you know, one of our clients is Urban Necessities, which is a sneaker resale brand in Vegas. And, you know, JC Lopez built that business into a monster with an Instagram following.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
0: you know, that doesn't cost money, but you got to be after it. You got to create it. And this seems like a good time to mention that I'm also going to put a link to your, literally Jake's, LinkedIn because I want you to follow them because you do a great job with providing content and even though we're the content marketing idea isn't new people are so freaking bad at it oh yeah I mean they really are now it's a bit of a journey you got to kind of learn to be better at it but no one wants to hear your 48 second whatever before you talk about what you need. I think one of the big differences Well, first off create content that's valuable, but I mean, content marketing is, is, a, is a very mysterious thing to people that are still stuck in an old school mindset. So, and if you want organic reach, you're going to have to create content at some point because the definition of organic is non-paid, it's earned PR in many ways. And like, that's a whole nother subject, but h- how do you go about creating good or useful content? What are some of your pillars for that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there, there, there's two main things here. One, I want to talk about the the personal personal brand led companies. And then number two, we should shelf what you mentioned on the, the creator led brand, if you will, where you build up a following on social, then you monetize it because there's some fascinating stuff there. But you know, one of the things I'd recommend, especially for young founders, but I think founders of any kind, is if you can develop your personal brand um, into an asset. That's that's one of the most valuable things you can do because, you know, at the end of the day, particularly if you're in a B two B category, you know, why are people gonna gonna buy with you? And it's so funny because it, it's 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 not even a, to me a derivative of content marketing and SEO and making sure you're ranking here. Like obviously, it, it's beneficial to have those things. But just from a sales perspective, like the way I imagine it is when I'm pushing out content on LinkedIn, that is my version of spending four hours of the golf course with someone. You know, only now I can do it in a video context and I can push it out there. You know, why would we, you know, back in the day, maybe I know people still do it, but uh, I'm horrid at golf. So I'll, 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 never, I'll always turn that down. But you know, on a sales trip like that uh, or something of that nature, what are you trying to do in that? Well, you're trying to get them to know who you are and so they can trust you and they can make a buying decision and they get to know who you are and you know what, what are you like? What's your personality like? How do you make decisions? Um, some of those things, that's the way I see content marketing. It's not just a matter of me pushing content out there. It's also the fact that that backs up everything we're saying because I have a stream of content and within video content specifically, you can tell very quickly what my personality is. And, you know, I can't tell you how beneficial that's been for our business. I'm asked all the time, how were you able to get in front of these, these Fortune 500 brands? How were you able to sign McDonald's and North Face and Coca-Cola? I'll tell you, it wasn't from a cold email or a case study or, or anything. Like we're bootstrapped, we don't have the, we didn't have the case studies for any of that stuff. We weren't able to afford to go to the conferences. What it was, was pushing content on these platforms. And then I even at one point in 2020 started a CMO podcast because I wanted to get in front of CMOs and I would invite them on. And then sure enough, you build a relationship naturally through a podcast platform. And then one thing leads to another and you, you end up working together potentially. And so to me, that, that's one of the biggest assets. And there's this whole building public trends that's happening on Twitter and other platforms where people you know share the insights, they'll share their revenue of their company I don't know if I'll ever go that far. Um, but you know, with all of that in mind, I think, uh, I think this era of personal brands being involved in the business is it's really beneficial. It's, it's our primary recruiting engine too. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, that's something that's huge.
0: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about some parts of that, mainly about the things you shouldn't get frustrated with when you're first starting that route. Cause a lot of people would say the same thing to us at Startup Hustle, like, wow, man, like, you guys have b- this big audience or whatever. How'd you do that so quickly? Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, yeah. There's 900 episodes, man. Started yeah. the shit five years ago. It's been a lot of work, right? It's been a lot of work. And it's been a lot of planning and a lot of improvement. Uh, what can make things a little easier for you is... Trying out a platform like Wix and our friends over at Wix, yes, the website and business building platform, know a thing or two about turning a scrappy startup team into a global organization that is serving millions. And they want to share what they've learned with you in, a, in their new micro podcast series called "Ready for Takeoff" by Wix, where the company's founders and leaders share super short lessons designed to help you build better products and teams faster. Sub, subscribe to the subscribe to and follow. You know, someone pointed out to me you should that not use the word subscribe because people mentioned that that's paid in some cases. It's free. So go follow it. The ready for takeoff by Wix podcast. It's available now on Apple podcast, Spotify, and wherever you listen to the show. Speaking of shows, don't miss my upcoming special two-part series about validating your app. That's kicking off this Friday. I chatted with another fellow Kansas city tech founder, John rake about developing apps. It, I get so many questions about, How do you validate what you're doing? How do you go about it? And we made that a special two-part series. John came by and did that in studio with me, episode one titled Building Your App. And the next one is called Testing the Prototype. Now, we were talking about content. And I think with content, you got to do a few things. You got to teach people. You got to entertain them and hopefully both when it comes to, you mentioned the brand driven stuff and like you, what would you call it? The building your, your company, was it public facing or something like that?
1: Yeah. Building in public. Yeah. yeah,
0: Building in public. Okay. So that's actually the first that I've, I've heard that particular term, but if you're going to do that, you have to share the good, the bad and the ugly. Oh yeah. The, The, the number one, probably the most popular comment is something about this show that I've gotten from people all over the world at this point is, is, I love that you keep it real, meaning like you're going to tell it. We're real open about what we're good at, what we're not good at. And I think the the listeners are people. Well, first off, everyone likes to look at the train wreck. Oh, yeah, they do. That's why there's a bottleneck when there's a wreck on the highway. It's not because people couldn't drive past it. It's because they stopped to look. But the thing about sharing failure and what you learn from it and helping people grow. First off, that's a very endearing thing because people say I've had the comments I said, well, what do you like, lo- what do you like listening to the failure? They said, well, I, it makes me feel like I'm not the only one. Cause we are speaking to entrepreneurs. And as you're aware, that's a, that's a treacherous path and it chews people up and it spits them out. And it is very much like a roller coaster ride on every day. So sometimes just knowing that it's not you, like you're not the only person that fails a lot. I fail all the time. And, and so, but these are the things that build that trust and that brand value and, You know, and then I end up, you talk about the usefulness of the content or whatever. We get people that every day there is an appointment with a potential client for full scale that is related to startup hustle. And Mm -hmm. in regards to the cred that you create from that, you go, I will go to tell them, well, this is what we do. And they'll literally be like, Hey, I already get it. I've been listening to the podcast for a while. Yeah. And, and from, and you don't have to climb over that because if someone's coming in and they're cold, they just don't know really what you do or anything. You have to begin to establish that trust, that credibility. And you mentioned with the video or LinkedIn, you're saying, Hey, I can accomplish the same thing for, it, for on a scalable way that I could with one person on a golf course for four hours. Yeah, that's it. You're getting to, people get to know you, but you can't just always tell them. Hey, look! I'm the best at everything, all the time, every time. Yeah, because
1: I just don't buy that shit. Do yeah, you? when you <laughs> see someone that does that, I'm like, dude, come on! You know, it's fascinating. I've probably posted, you know, on an Able, and I'm re- I'm repping the the LinkedIn hoodie right now uh, for everyone listening. Um, I'm I'm one of I was able to get uh, in this LinkedIn creators group, and I'm one of the top 1,000 creators on the platform based on how they judge that. I don't know. I Honestly, I think they just needed to throw a young person in there. Uh, but you know, I'm honored either way. I got a free hoodie out of it. And you know, out of the thousands of posts I have literally posted to LinkedIn, the one that has gotten the most traction and love was the one. You know, and I'll share some of the insights. But I literally, I think the first line in it is it in it is I was burnt out. And I explain how literally in the span of a month, you know, I have a creative director leave, I have my COO leave, my girlfriend and I break up, I'm going through all this. And granted, these are first world problems, like who gives a shit. But I just shared, you know, the reality is like, you know, I've been doing this business thing for, you know, at that time, three or four years. And God, I would just love to, to take a few days off, like just a mental break. But the reality is you can't. And, um, you know, so I think it's, it's that acknowledgement and, and honesty, um, and transparency that's needed. And I think we're seeing more of that. Um, I think there's been an interesting pendulum shift and obviously hustles in the name, like there's very much, and Matt, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Like there's the, the hustle culture, right. Of entrepreneurship, which I I'm very much a buyer of, but it seemed like then that got so much negativity of like, Look at all these entrepreneur assholes that don't value their mental health and screw these guys. And now we've, the pendulum has shifted the other way, you know, to, um, you know, it's so anti-work culture and it's prioritize, you know, all this stuff and have your whatever. And and the reality is the answer is in between. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Like five years ago, it seemed to be totally okay to say, hey, if you're an entrepreneur working through, you know, a, a global pandemic and you're bootstrapping things, like, you should probably be putting in 80 to hundred hours this just this week. Um, and now it, if I were to tweet that out right now, I would probably get canceled. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the trigger warning.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, because I'll be honest, man. I, I, uh, I, I don't agree with it. I don't agree okay. with the, the work shaming Yep. thing and I've been through it. And I actually did have this happen in my own startup hustle chat group on Facebook when I was in the Philippines last time, now look, I'm traveling by myself overseas. And I went to the office on Easter Sunday because all my employees are off. I was the only person there, which in a 10,000 square foot, one of two floors was a weird thing. And I took a picture and I just, I made the comment that I pride myself on. I like, I want to be the hardest working person at my own company because I don't, I don't want to ever be the boss. That's like, Oh, go to work. And then I'm out on the golf
1: course. By the way. Yeah. God forbid you work hard for more than your people. My own business
0: that I own. Now, look, I, I have not accomplished. If you want to accomplish and do big things, it does not come easily and it's going to be a lot of hard work. And if you think you're going to get that, that like this, the four hour work week bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Where are the easy companies? Let me take a crack at one because there aren't any easy businesses and you're not going to get to where you need to be. Now there's a difference between working hard and working smart and that's a whole nother debate, but I, I don't, I don't get how I think that it sets false expectations for entrepreneurs. I think that it makes, and I think it's going to that hustle the I I'm a, I'm a believer in the hustle mentality, get out there and hustle. You know why? Okay. So I'm not saying, I think Floyd Mayweather as a person is a great, but as an athlete, that's, the only undefeated boxer forever. Now, do you know that when he's training, he gets up in the middle of the night and will go out and run 10 miles? And oh, you know yeah, why? Because yeah. he's doing it because he knows you're sleeping. Yeah. And and so much of my success has been through that. I will outwork you. I will outthink you. I will. You can, maybe I'll get up off the mat one extra time. But I think that the shaming of hustle or work for entrepreneurs. Now, look, I don't expect my employees to do any of that. Give me your full-time effort and enjoy your time off. But for me as an entrepreneur, I'm going to, so you mentioned the term mental health. My mental health is going to be in a shittier state. If I sit around and let these problems fester without dealing with it. And I wrote about this in my book, balance me, you have anxiety because you have unresolved shit. So Mm -hmm. the anxiety will go away the sooner and the faster you go resolve, whatever it is that's troubling you. And for me, it's oftentimes something related to the business. Like, your business is growing quickly. Dude, Full Scale is about to have its fourth birthday, and I'm almost at 300 employees. Yeah. If you think if you think that that happened because we didn't work hard on it, you're wrong. Yeah. So, you know, I think that the idea of shaming it now, I, would, I didn't get that shade from other entrepreneurs. I went yeah. back and looked, but dude, it took it, it was like instant. People are like, you're setting a terrible example. I'm like, it, I would be if the whole entire company was sitting in the room with me. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I, I think if you give half the effort, you'll get 25% of the results. Yeah. You know, and that's, and I'm probably going to get canceled. I'll probably get quoted on this somewhere, but you know what, if you don't like the opinion, I, that's just it. It's just my opinion. You don't have to, I'm not giving you a command. I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong, but that's where I'm at.
1: Oh yeah. No. And I've been in the same boat. And and one of the things that, and and I'm always pressing for, for my generation, because you know, as much as we think of ourselves as an organization pushing for Gen Z and in in these larger you know organizations and brands, really, I want to be able to provide opportunities to the most talented young people that if they were to work anywhere else, they would start at the entry level and I want to be able to throw them on a project with one of the biggest brands in the world because I know they'll crush it. And the conversation I have, you know, it, it's not a conversation I have to have with my team because there's an expectation there and there's management. But for those outside of it, I just I- explain, hey, you know, your your work your work capacity has to meet your ambition and it has to do so on the time interval. You know, it's fine if you want to, you know, live on the beach in, in Venice, California, and you want to have this awesome place and you want to be in the best shape of your life, and you want to have you know an awesome relationship with someone and you want to have a great social life and you want to crush it in your job and you want to make this much money, and you also want to have a million followers on TikTok. Like that's fine. You can want all those things. That ain't going to happen in 20 hours a week. Exactly. and yeah. But there's a practicality to it. Yeah. And that's my thing is, is you can choose. And you you have to get to the point where you can choose. And one of the biggest the struggles with, I think, our generation in particular is we're used to having, from a consumer perspective, we have everything we want whenever we want. I don't go grocery shopping anymore. I pay the $5 delivery fee through Instacart. I When I and- want a meal – Maybe I'll go cook myself something healthy. Maybe I'll just DoorDash it because it's a hell of a lot easier, and I'd rather be working. You know, so we can get anything we want at any time. And I think that's what you see with not only a lot of young entrepreneurs that you know will tell me their business model and that they're gonna you know come after my agency and kick the shit out of me a year from now. Hey, go for it, buddy. I'm a, I'll, I'll be your first fan. You know, maybe I can even invest. Um, but you know, all of that said, I I think it's it's really important that. We understand that when you want so much and you have that ambition, you you got to be willing to work for it. And that's that's my fear with this generation that I'm always trying to push for is, yo. if you want to go be an executive or VP in your company, that's not going to happen next year. You know, you're 24 years old, like you got to play this out on a timetable and you got to be realistic with it.
0: Or or you take destiny into your own hands and you can work through it. They say, you know, there's these kind of general rules of thumb that after doing something for thousands of hours, you become an expert or truly a master. To me, I'm just speeding up that process. And, and, you know, I, I want to say one other thing. I don't want to get too far off on this. But like I said, this is kind of a trigger warning. I think it's really, really dangerous to teach young entrepreneurs that you're going to begin that you're gonna start a business and get where you want or need. Okay, first off, fuck your mental health because you threw it out the window the moment you decided to start a business. Yep. If you think that you're gonna have a peaceful existence as a business owner, you're wrong. Because there's always a fire. There's always something. Like it, my, my wife asked me halfway through COVID. She's like, you seem to be handling this really well. And I said, it's just another problem on a much bigger level. And that's the thing. There's always going to be problems. But I think that giving people the idea that they're going to start a business. Now, if it's a side hustle, I get it. But if you think you're going to do something full time, you're not going to really build much if you're doing it 12 hours a week. So don't start a business because you want more control of your life. You do not get that until later when you've worked really hard on the business and have maybe found other people that can duplicate, scale or change your reality. And, you know, because it's going to be hell until that point, either that, or you're just like doing like multi-level marketing and trying to sell cosmetics in your living room. That's not what we're talking about here. If if you're an entrepreneur and you want to do something meaningful and something truly valuable, and by the way, you're not going to get that house on Venice beach. Cause you're not going to be able to afford it.
1: Yep, you know, work yep. hard.
0: It's really expensive to live there. I got a oh, buddy yeah. that lives up the street. Right, right, right there in Venice. But you know what? Working hard. So just beware. And I think that's. I think we are giving entrepreneurs that impression that they're yeah. going to come in. And and you know, let's get back to the Gen Z thing. I, we didn't talk about building the audience because you mentioned like, uh, it's, oh my god, dude! I talked to so many people, and I'm sure you know many as well. And you know, we laugh. You've built an audience. I've built an audience. I've got a bunch of people that are influencers and wherever you want. And that we all kind of laugh We're like, yeah, we're the overnight sensation five or nine years in the making.
1: Yeah. So yeah. If you're
0: trying to create content you're trying to build an audience, you need to remember that we all started with an audience of one. Yep. Like every company was like Apple was in a garage at one yep. point. Like that's the, and you have to have reasonable expectations. I worked in the music industry for 10 years. And the number one reason that people quit, playing a musical instrument is because they're not good right away. No yep. one is. No one is. You got to get the reps, you got to put in the time, you got to be want it, you got to get it, want it and be capable of doing it on some levels, but you know when it comes to building the audience, I, I unless you had prior fame or something else which took you an audience to build that, you're not going to get on the gram or anything else and all of a sudden you're just like phew, Now, when I mentioned Jay from Urban Necessities, now he had a half a million Instagram followers before Instagram was even as cool as it is now. When we went to start his YouTube channel, he had 15,000 subscribers before we published a video. That is the only way that would ever happen. And it took time to build the other audience. So, I mean, have you experienced the same thing and with other people that you know or other influencers that it's usually a lot more work than people think it is?
1: Yeah. And what's so funny is everything you just said in terms of audience development, when it comes to Gen Z, the same is true at every single level. Like we know that to be true at the SMB and the startup level, but I will tell you the same is true at a Fortune 1000 level. So, you know, t- take a brand like, like Coca-Cola, for example, why should Gen Z give a shit? you know, we we haven't grown up in this advertising era where we've seen your ads on TV. You think anyone's actually watching those TV ads? No. The highest traffic during commercials is on Twitter. You know, when you're watching a live sports game, go check the Twitter activity during the commercial breaks. And I can assure you people are on Twitter a lot more than they are watching that commercial. And so You know, I I think there are, we we live in this interesting era where we have legacy brands that have been built over decades, thanks to this moat of supply chain and economics and, you know, uh, the high cost of marketing. And now what we're entering is the ability for anyone, any creator with any level of following to start a brand overnight, have a Shopify store and sell it immediately and go compete with the biggest brands in the world. And what I'm so bullish on is to me, I look at a company like L'Oreal, which we've had a chance to work with. L'Oreal, I don't see your biggest competition as other cosmetic brands that exist today. Your biggest competition is Addison Rae. It's Rihanna. It's the, you know, the, the girl from Kansas City with a hun- only 100,000 followers, but guess who can penetrate you know a small little cosmetic market? If we multiply that out by the thousands of creators there are across the world, all of a sudden we get to a very scary situation and the retail shelf that we hold and value so much doesn't mean shit to this generation because they'll go buy it online. And so that's what I find so fascinating with this creator led world and why I'm so bullish on, you know, uh, to me, the future of of brands is building as an influencer, as a creator or a media brand first, then selling a product and service behind it. and And so you know, Matt, I would love to get your thoughts on that as well. Like I, I'm so fascinated by this creator economy and the ability for creators to launch their own brands. You know, have you dabbled, looked into that much? Well, I mean, yeah, firsthand. I mean, it had a lot to do with why we started the
0: podcast. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's there was a number of different reasons. And you know, we're in this golden age of reach. Uh, so last year, people listened to this show in 105, 185 countries. Jesus, Before yeah. podcasting, I would have had to have had a radio deal with, like a Howard Stern kind of thing, to have that kind of reach and that kind of broadcast. Now, look. We started this podcast with a $200 microphone and a used laptop. Yep. If that's the low, that's about as low of a barrier to entry as you're going to find. And now we had to, we had to create it. Now we've been talking about the audience. I think the influencer thing is, but let's set up what the expectation should be for most people. Because I think people look at you know you go who have, how how many followers does Kylie Jenner have everywhere because it's it's more than you're ever gonna have listener oh yeah because okay. yeah. that's that's supernatural and also guided by powerful people pushing them to that platform yeah. so people will often talk to me about podcasts and they'll say well I have a podcast but I'm really frustrated because I see you got three million downloads and I only got. Uh I on my last episode, I only got 50. And I ask him, I say, if 50 people showed up tomorrow to hear what you had to say about anything, would you be excited about that? And they're overwhelming. They're like, fuck yeah, that would be huge. Okay, then you're successful. Yep. So that you know, that's where it starts. And I think that that's the cool part about you can be an influencer on any scale that that is good for you. Now Personally, if I went back to 50 downloads an episode, we'd be like, whoa, is Apple podcasts up? Yeah. <laughs> right. But we were at that point once, too. And, you know, that's that's the grind. So you're going to get what you put into it. I think consistency is a key and then also quality. And I want to point out one other thing. Like you mentioned, your I haven't earned the hoodie from LinkedIn yet. I want it. We'll see we can make it happen. I didn't even know it was a thing until now. And now I'm like, really, I need one. But I'll have
1: my people call your people and we'll, well yeah.
0: I, I just like to do shit the hard way. So I'm going to probably try to figure it out for like two yeah. years and then I'll call. But, <laughs> but look, Jake stuff that he puts out, it's, it's, it doesn't look like shit. It's thought out and it gets to the point real quick. And that, that matters. That yeah. matters. Don't make your content look like a kidnapping video like a ransom video, like just don't, it's not, you know, it's not expensive. You're carrying a, okay, the power of any smartphone. I mentioned working in the music industry. I used to work for Roland, the world's biggest maker of electronic musical instruments. So I'm credible on this. You have more video and audio recording and computing power in your pocket right now than I was selling to professionals 20 years ago. Oh yeah. And, and put and so a man on the moon it.
1: with lesser technology. You, you know? can use it.
0: You can use it, and it's there. But there's a way to go about it, and just make it not suck. Because I think one thing that you're—if you put—if you put out crap, you're going to get crap results. Um, but back to—do you agree on like the micro influencer thing? Because you use the example of like someone in Kansas City with a hundred thousand followers. Like, look, your 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 bar shouldn't be being Kylie Jenner. It yeah. should be doing. You know, I had you did. How do you feel about this? I had someone say to me the other day, they were shitting on me and startup hustle saying that I do all of this for my own personal gain and I'll validate it. I do. I do it all to promote my fucking business and to drive customers into what I do. If Mm -hmm. you don't like my content, I'll give you your money back. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's okay. But I'm saying it's okay to be self-serving. I'm here to promote my business. And and if you will listen to our experiences and whatever, all I ask is that you consider us if you are buying what I'm selling. past that. I don't have a whole lot of opinions. I'm not doing a whole lot of promotion, but yeah, that's part of why we do it. It's also a full-scale own startup hustle and pays. There's a lot of people that participate in making this happen. Like come on the show and say some credible shit. And I, I, good, good contact Jake. Yeah. He can help you. There you go. That's why we're here though. Right. Yep. No, I think I get canceled. True. If I was a Gen Z or saying that would I get canceled, cause I don't think my peers would cancel me.
1: You know, I think it's, uh, I, I think the, the cancel culture is inevitable. Like I think everyone's on a chopping block to some context. Sure. Uh, you're going to offend someone. Um, no, I think I if
0: you're not offending someone that you're, that I actually say that a lot. You got to pick a side of the line to be on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If
0: you're if you're not pissing someone off, you might, you might be a little too neutral on some things.
1: Yeah. It, you know, and I think it's much better to be authentic and honest and deal with the ramifications mm-hmm. of it. Um, as opposed to not, um, I think people can sense they can feel those things you know, and, and you know, that, that'd be my biggest challenge. Like, you, you know, you mentioned that the content process and the grind to get there and, and making sure you're pushing out good quality. Um, one of the things that, that I've loved to see, uh, you know, over, over the past couple of years as TikTok has exploded is all of these corporate brands that spend billions or hundreds of millions of dollars a year in marketing, try to operate in this TikTok world and just do not know how to do it. Yeah. And it's very you know, foreign, very foreign. Exactly. And then, you know, meanwhile, you know, our our team of of TikTok wizards, you know, can get in there and figure out a plan within a couple of minutes and go film like crazy. And so it's been fascinating to see that shift, um, you know, in the marketing landscape. But whether it's TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, regardless of the platform, the best way to do it, like, you just learn this stuff by doing. You know, some of my LinkedIn posts, like, I can tell you, I certainly think through them, but it's a lot more intuitive. Like, None of my content is scheduled out. I don't have anything really planned outside of like a you know Dropbox with some videos here and there. The majority of all this stuff is more so on the fly. It's intuitive. You know we're gonna have a conversation about this thing and then I'm when I'm done with this podcast episode, I'm gonna think of an idea and post it to LinkedIn real quickly. And because I've been practicing on it, you know it's gonna, gonna come natural. You know so that's the case for any platform and, and developing any sphere of influence. Well, I think that if you're trying to have a conversation with people that you want to
0: listen, like, okay, what did I say before I hit record? Because I say the same thing to everyone. This is conversational. Yeah. I've got some, I did not use my notes. Yeah. <laughs> but I have them, I have them, which is also being prepared because if I need some direction, they're there, you could fall back on it. I, I don't, I'm the same. I don't like to plan the content. I don't, now some people are better than, that, than others, but I can always tell if you're reading a script or a prompter. I I can tell and, and some of that just be you, uh, I want to point out one other thing, because I think we owe it to people to mention that there are some things that people don't want to hear about with your content, especially if they're completely unrelated to your business and the three that I've always religion, sex and politics. Yep. Unless yep. you're in the business of one of those three, just don't even talk about them and we never get into it. That's actually literally a written brand standard here at Startup Hustle because people aren't tuning in to hear where I stand politically or religiously. And, and I have no business. Sex is talking about inappropriate, is inappropriate. Unless we have the sex coach entrepreneur yeah. who's been on four times. And those are titled Sex Coaching 101, 201, 301, and 401 if you want to go get the whole course. But you can see some people that, well... Have, uh, locally, we have a, 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 a AC repair company, a uh, guy I won't name him. You probably know. Well, fuck it. It's Bob Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Who, you know, you see, I'm all over the band. So he didn't even know, own that company anymore. He's not even involved with He sold it to someone else and he ran on a remarkably conservative platform with a very opinionated set of ads. Right. Every time I'd see him, I'm like, I'm cringing for whoever bought his company. Yeah. Because I, I, Because it's what it is now, maybe, look, I can go both ways. Maybe the people on the right are like, they, I will not use any other AC repair than this, but you can do, you can kill your brand pretty quickly too. And if none of those things I mentioned are related to your brand, look, keep it in, don't, don't put it on, don't fly it under your company's flag. Unless, unless the only people you're trying to reach are that.
1: Yep. You know, and I think with, with, this, like, with this generation growing up in the social media sphere, it, it's created such an opinionated generation that they, you know, because of social gratification, they believe that their opinion and perspective and ideas on anything and everything matter and that, that it matters to the extreme. And while I'm all for sharing perspective and opinion, you know, I, what, what, what I like to remind those around me and, and what I like to have conversations around is look, I want to talk about the things that I can control. And I want to talk about ideas that I can implement. And I want to talk about actions that I can take. Because if I can't control it, what you know, what is me talking about it? It's not even worth my time yeah. to talk about it. And so, you know, national politics and this thing and war over here and da-da-da-da. Sure, I can share my perspective, but my perspective on it doesn't mean a damn thing. So I'm going to focus on this little Gen Z sphere. And if I can help, you know, brands reach this generation. And and in doing so, create a better consumer marketplace. Then that's awesome, and you know I can sleep at night if I can do that. I think Gen Z invented cancel culture, so
0: I think especially if we're talking about reshaping the Gen Z marketing message, I think that's where you have your your biggest. If that's who you're trying to reach, that take then really take my advice. Yeah, On that, because, you know, like I said, just, I don't know, decide what your brand's about and stick with it. And it shouldn't, unless you're an opinion maker, I don't know, anyone listening, seen somewhere, someone, somehow, as we are nearing the end of Uh, This has been fun, man. I've enjoyed this. Uh, So once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Wix. If you're an entrepreneur or founder trying to figure out how you want to successfully navigate the rocket ship that is hyper growth, you got to ask yourself, do you want or need to control your company's online presence internally and externally? Our friends over at Wix Enterprise can help. Wix Enterprise is a platform that provides businesses with an all-in-one solution for all types of growth and business needs. Create high-performing websites for your business all of which are backed by enterprise-grade security as well as expert support to help you manage and scale online. Head over to Wix.com for more information. There's a link in the show notes. There's also a link to many things related to Jake and trendsetters. I really do want you to click those links, folks, and follow them on LinkedIn, if anything, just to get a better understanding of how quality content Is created. And I will tell you, I don't, I wouldn't say that if I didn't believe it. I don't give a lot of endorsements, but I'm always, I I follow you, man. I follow you. Um, You know, so, you know, check it out, check it out. So here we are at the end of the episode. And I end my episodes, start a puzzle with what I call the founders freestyle. I say my episodes, if you're not aware, I am not the only host of the show. So make sure you tune in to listen to what Andrew, Lauren, and the other Matt have to say. Um, now, Jake, I mentioned the Founders Freestyle. I give all my guests a chance to, to freestyle for a minute. And I've had people actually rap, recite poetry, uh, do a whole lot of other things. But really what it is is a chance to wrap up anything. As it, I like to talk about the things that stood out during the episode. And then sometimes things go pretty quickly and we forget to say a couple of things. Uh, yeah. It's up to you, man. It's your freestyle. So here we go.
1: Yeah, I would say that the biggest takeaway here is for those in the startup ecosystem, um, I, I would challenge everyone to start start pumping out content on the TikTok platform and do so right away. It's the less produced content medium on the planet. You don't need a camera. You don't even need an iPhone. You can film with whatever you got and start pushing out any and all content there. Post one or two videos a day. And then the other thing is figure out unique ways if you're a consumer brand to integrate influencers into what you're doing. You you don't have to go pay the biggest influencers in the world. Find someone with 10, 25, 50, 100,000 followers, integrate them in because to me, this is the next wave. And, and, you know, the CPMs we're seeing, the acquisition costs that we're seeing are, are crushing everything, um, you know, across the board. So invest into those two things and it'll do wonders for you.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. There was, uh, I don't remember this, but there was a rumor at the office that you once came and visited us at our office, uh, either around the time of your high school graduation or at another uh, several, several years ago before trendsetters. Was that true?
1: Potentially.
0: I, uh, I didn't remember it. I didn't remember it. And I remember, I, I feel like I would have remembered that. But
1: So know. I think I met with, I don't know if he's a friend of yours, Mason. Mason uh, Gray. Yes, I yeah, met he, like, work, oh. he works at full scale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so then I saw something.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That makes a lot more sense now. I remember that now. So I was like, gosh, I was trying to remember it. And one of our employees was like, yeah, you were sitting there talking to him. I was like, that was a long time ago. Maybe it's another Gen Z in Kansas City running agency. I, I right? was, I was, <laughs> I you know, I just I discredit Gen yeah. Z for all the. Re- no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, when I look back at this episode. I think that there's a few things that we talked about that are are pretty key. Um, you know, first off, regardless of what you sell, if your advertising or marketing message is trash or it looks like trash. Um, your results are going to be trash. Uh, I think one quick tip that I could give with that, and I, get, you know, I, I really picked this up from my my book editor, who was always yelling at me, Matt, lead with the need. That's how you get people's attention. And with Gen Z, and we didn't get into this, like the uh, the look, we're, you're talking about. You mentioned TikTok. You have stories, reels, shorts, all these things that are all really short form, meaning like you don't have 30 seconds. You have. Maybe three seconds to get someone's attention. So you got to shape your content and your message. Like, without a doubt, the most successful social media ad. And so many people listening found this show because we have the startup hustle logo, and it says a podcast for entrepreneurs. Yeah. Okay. So that gets your attention. That's so the need might be had. Like, I'd like to associate or listen to other entrepreneurs. Uh, For full scale, it's literally hire software engineers. It can be that simple, but you got to, you got to get people's attention. If your content or your message, if it takes 15 seconds to get to what it is to the problem you solve, the solution you offer or why the advantages or benefits of whatever it is that you sell or do, you already lost the audience. No one's like 15 seconds sounds like a really short amount of time. And it's not, not, not on the world of the internet. And uh, you know, and then also if you want to, you know, just, try it, man. Just look. Everyone, everyone that you th- might follow, listen to, observe any of that. We all made our first post. We all had our first podcast. We all did our first video. And we all look back at those early posts later with absolute terror Oh yeah, that we released something that we're like, oh my gosh, was I really this bad? I go back to the first five episodes of Startup Hustle and don't. Actually, I actually want to put a message on episode one because some people like, I went back to episode one. I'm like, don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't. Like, start from the newer stuff back. But look, same way we talked about everything else. It's reps. It's understanding. You're not going to build an audience overnight. And also expect on some levels, you may have to pay to promote that. Just jumpstart mm-hmm. it, figure it out, ask people to share it. you got You got to make an effort. Uh, this isn't like the movie Field of Dreams. You don't just build it and they show up. But sure. I will tell you one thing, you're never going to get the following. You're never going to get the attention. You're never going to reach the audience you need if you don't put anything out there. Mm-hmm. It's a pr- pretty, pretty straightforward. I think it's a pretty binary thing. So, Jake, thanks for joining me, man. I, uh, congratulations on all the s- success you're having with Trendsetters. Make sure, for those of you listening, to click the link and uh, get some really great advice about how to reach Gen Z. Thanks so much, Matt.